Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I'm joined by Greg Stewart. Greg is an author and investment advisor. He's the CEO of MMA Global, the leading industry body focused on architecting the future of marketing. During his time at MMA, Greg and his team have driven 400% revenue growth and energized the MMA's 800 plus member companies globally. Greg is also the co-author of the book, What Sticks? Why Most Advertising Fails and How to Guarantee Yours Succeeds. In today's episode, we're going to discuss how we can be better marketers and how advertising has evolved. Also in today's episode, we'll cover the following key takeaways. Number one, as marketers, we should focus on the long-term relationship and lifetime value of each customer. Number two, we have to be careful to respect the customer's time. And number three, there are constantly new trends in the marketplace and shifts in consumer behavior. We should be aware of these shifts so we can adjust our marketing efforts accordingly. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> I don't know. How obnoxious does that sound? Saving marketing from marketers. I don't know if I'm talking about myself, I'm talking about other marketers or what, but good to see you, Nathan. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how often we do things that are are viewed as manipulative or coercive or that annoy people, and and we think because it makes a quick buck that that's the right thing we should be doing, and and in doing so, we kind of are ignoring the long term relationship and long term lifetime value of that customer. Oh my God, a hundred percent, totally right on that. So, so in a nutshell, what is the big picture? Why do we need? to save marketing from marketers and and how do we save marketing from marketers okay okay listen there's two things listen donald rumsfeld died recently you know the two-time uh, secretary of defense for the u.s uh and he had done a documentary a number of years ago that i think today even sort of guides a lot of what i think about it was called uh, let's see if i get this right it was called the unknown known okay and those are things that we really believe to be true, but simply aren't fact. I think marketing is full of that. I often call them like quaint notions about how we think consumers receive and understand information and or sort of change their attitude or shift or how we deal with sort of the masses that we deal with in marketing. But I'm telling you, probably few people have done as much research as I have around sort of the whole advertising marketing landscape. And you know, I work with a board now of major CMOs. I got to tell you, Nathan, I just don't think we know what we're talking about half the time. And so I am in this incredibly fortunate position to sit at the head of a nonprofit. I mean, I'm here just for the greater good. That's my job, right? But to really help marketers be better, to kind of respect the amount of money that our companies give us to invest in growth for those businesses and to really become good at it. And what's interesting about that, I mean, listen, we, you know, listen, already companies spend a huge amount of money. I got, I, I just talked to a CMO this morning. His budget was two, I mean, he goes, he goes, yeah, Greg, he goes, it's a little hard working from home to spend $2.3 billion, but that's what we do. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even sort of imagine some of them. But the issue is, is that given the money we have, if we can be better at it, then we become sort of the most important thing within the company, right? It's not important about supply chain optimization or digital transformation or some other BS company that the company is thinking of. Marketing should be the number one driver of that growth. And 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 we need to treat that investment respectfully and carefully and so on. So I got a whole bunch more thoughts around that, but that's basically the thesis of the MMA is trying to help marketers be better than they are and really help understand some of these unknown knowns. In this career that you've had in the marketing field, what's the greatest home run that you've hit so far? Listen, I think the thing that I would say I'm most proud about 
is when I got, and listen, this is the rarity of my position, sitting in the middle of trade bodies. So I ran a previous trade body called the Interactive Advertising Bureau, the, the IAB, that, you know, has gone on to become a really big deal. And I love the experience of being there. But the best thing I think that we did there, well, one is I stopped pop-ups. I was really particularly proud of that because it was just a, an example of consumer annoyance that we could deal with. And I got the whole industry to agree to stop doing pop-ups in the way we were doing, which, you know, back in the uh, back in the early 2000s was a huge problem. Okay. I think the thing I'm most proud of is that we worked on an industry standard for how advertising currency works. So listen, there's this point at which a buyer buys something and a seller sells something. We have to agree on what that something was. And at the time, it was called an impression for internet, right? And we did a study with PwC at the time and found that impression count swings from, from servers, and this is servers working off the same campaign, could be anywhere from plus 100% to minus 50%. What that means is that if a marketer bought $10 million of internet advertising, they either got 20 million or they got 5 million, but they had no goddamn idea. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's just insane that we were trying to run at the time an eight to $10 billion industry that way, segment of the industry. And so I stepped in and worked with Yahoo and Microsoft and all the biggest players. And in fact, it took working with 27 proprietary ad servers around the world to get everybody to agree on exactly what we were buying and selling and to kind of take that sort of wide plus 100% minus 50% swing and bring it into, at the time, I think we got down to like plus or minus 15%, which was not bad at the moment. But that was, so that was legacy. Now, what was interesting about that particular standard, I got the whole industry agreement. There've been many other attempts that nobody had done that, but I got the entire industry to agree that as the new currency standard for the business, which just gave so much clarity to it. What was interesting about that is that at the time, the big strategic move we made is that we moved everybody to measuring actual ad delivery. Because until that time, Nathan, most, and this is way off into the weeds of intricacies of an, of, an, of an entire industry, every medium to date, television, magazines, newspapers, had all measured content. Television measured every quarter hour. Radio had a similar sort of dynamic. They made it off of diaries, which is just ridiculously flawed. Okay, but we as an industry, as digital, chose to measure exactly the moment that an ad got delivered. We now call that viewability because the standard gets evolved over time. So the viewability is a good, a reasonably good addition, badly handled, but reasonably good addition. Um, but that getting a whole industry to agree that was kind of cool, especially given that nobody else had been able to pull it off. I mean, they'd worked on other people had worked on. There've been five other attempts, and all of them failed. So I think that's probably the thing I was most excited about for my career, to get an opportunity to play in that sort of legacy, forever changing industry kind of dynamic. Uh, you mention in your book that 40% of advertising campaigns you studied didn't work. Why do you think that is? And, and what can we learn from that? So yeah, the book, oh, yeah, What Sticks, um, How to Guarantee, uh, why, why Your Advertising, what, what was, oh, geez, I forgot my subtitle already. See, Why Advertising Fails, How to Guarantee Your Succeeds, right? Been a long time. So that work, just, I'll put that work in context. So here's what happened. I had partnered up with a guy named Rex Briggs. Rex Briggs is the father of multi-touch attribution. And that book is predicated on his and my early years of trying to drive change in the industry to what was actually developing multi-touch attribution, which by the way, there's only one, you know, last click attribution, stupid, click through, stupid, stop it, stop it, people, stop it. If you as a marketer are measured against that, you're an idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. You want to challenge me with that, go ahead and reach out. There are very rare cases where that makes sense, but most of the time it's a terrible measurement technique. In fact, and, and what's bad about that, I actually did write 
the click, the global click-through measurement guidelines, and I've told the organization who runs that now they should get rid of the damn thing because it just it's, it's failed as horrendously. But we were creating multi. So it was the first time, and what multi-touch attribution is essence doing is it taking individual persons' media habits and combining it with their individual sales or, or or business performance. You know, could be visiting something, it could be signing up for something. It's not always just the sales number that you have. You try to make sure sales makes you good. But it was combining those together. And at the individual level, and you aggregate, so you, you, you do bottoms up versus the old the other methods would tend to be taught down. So that's what that book was doing. That book, we were the first people who had ever done that kind of analysis of media optimization, and that's where we found all that. Now, why did it fail? I mean, I think it large, well, it failed because they hadn't read my blog, I guess, but um, it, you know, maybe that's it. But um, it failed in part because marketers had all sorts of quaint notions about how advertising marketing would work based on decades of experience in other media that they hadn't translated to the internet age. And that's what we were doing. We were trying to understand internet's dynamics in a marketing mix. That's what the underlying or thesis behind the research. And Jesus, we spent, I don't know, $7 million in doing all that research with 24, two dozen odd brands or so, uh, just to try to understand that dynamic. I mean, I, I think it was, it was a failure to recognize their own limitations. It was a failure to have good measurement. There was terrible process. Like I'll give you a really good example. We worked with a company, I'm trying to think if I know the brand, if I do, I'd name it. It's probably, we probably named them in the books. We named a lot of brands there. But they had, we asked them how they approved their internet ads. And they said they showed them to nine people. We said, you did? They go, well, did you give the creative brief? Did you give the strategies to those people to judge the ads against? They go, well, no, we didn't. They go, well, then what evaluation are those individuals making other than their own random taste? And by the way, let's remember, this is early 2000s, so nobody had any real experience what worked in internet ads. And so people were just giving comment to these ads. And so they were basically just dumbing down the ads in some way. And we said, well, why are you doing that? Why aren't you pre-testing ads so you have a sense of whether or not they do work or don't work? And they these communicate the points. I'm not here to challenge strategy and testing that's a different topic but you can confirm it and add delivers against the message does it does it change the consumer's opinion does it come or walk away with what you're trying to do to it right and that's an easily testable proposition they said no we don't we don't here's the kicker they go, no we don't we don't do that testing because we don't have time we go we'll, we'll stop showing the damn ad to nine people like go do the testing like why are we asking people so there were just all these failures of understanding about either modern methods of interpreting uh, advertising success or the underlying dynamics of the world. And they just, they hadn't set the right process around is my, is my sense of most of the time. But some were good. Some, some were just naturally good. Some, some people actually did sort of strike upon it, but still missed opportunity. Okay, can you give me an example of an advertising campaign that failed and maybe one that was successful and maybe help illustrate the difference between less effective and more effective advertising? Well, I'll take an example from our book, What Sticks, and this is a little old, and some of this stuff gets very nuanced. So, um, I mean, I think a better example would be do some of the campaign level. I'd have to think that through. Um, we had discovered this ad for Colgate, and this is all this is all documented in the book, and I think this is a well-known fact now. Um, the very traditional advertising mode was done in 30-second, television commercials where we held people's uh, command attention. Uh, you know, at one point, remember, we hadn't even given people remote controls to switch channels. Okay. And we certainly didn't have DVRs and, you know, other things that interfered with people's viewing behavior. And so the classic was problem, 
solution brand, right? Every 30 second commercial run is we, we developed a, a, maybe a demo, you know, the child spills. I mean, the, I worked on Bounty for years at Procter. I love the Bounty ads because if you understand what Bounty's doing, like you see stuff spilling, you see Bounty clean up, you go, well, that's practical. That's not what's going on. Watch the faces. What's happening there is that the mother is at first upset. She pulls herself back. She creates harmony. She cleans up the spill with Bounty. She's restored a sense of positivity to the house. She's no longer the witchy mother who's yelling at the kids, which is how we all feel when kids spill stuff, right? And so Bounty was creating peace for families and bringing them together in unity. I mean, that was, I'm sure they have a better articulation of the thesis, but that's what was going on in part of those commercials. Okay. So one of the things we learned for internet was that that wasn't the case. First off, there was very little time the consumer experienced with an ad. It was happening so fast and they would devote their attention was drawn away so quickly. And so what we found is that there was this extra, and I don't remember the numbers now, but there was extraordinary increase in performance by putting the brand early in the ad. And what was going on is that when you put the Colgate logo, you knew that the ad was going towards teeth. It was going to something about, you know, oral hygiene of some kind. And so it anchored me, it gave me a position to know. And so then whatever they communicated, I could attach it to those, that fact that I'd already developed in my head. And we saw, I mean, we're talking performance three, four, five X. We saw ads that would completely fail because the consumer wouldn't wait even seven, six seconds or whatever to, the, to see the end of the ad to find out what the logo was about. So we had to start to really rethink. And I think one of the biggest things we had to do when I ran the IAB was just to start to teach brands and marketers like, well, you need to think differently about how you create your ads because this environment is totally different. We happen to know too from mobile phones, we did a bunch of neuroscience research last year and I won't, I won't belabor the point, but we found that the, uh, that the brain on average, two thirds of consumers will make a decision to tune out that ad in seven tenths of a second. That's how fast the brain reacts. And we watched because we put headsets on people so we knew brainwave level activity and they were gone. And so your challenge there is what do you do on the first second of potential viewing of that ad to hold a consumer, to help give them something of interest, to make it something that they were going to pay a little more attention to. There's a bunch of neuroscience techniques you do around that. But that's a, you know, it's a, it's a whole other field of study. It's like fishing. How do you hook them right there, right? When you get your first nibble, how do you get them on the hook? I just need them to stick around long enough on the hook that, that, that the hook can set itself. Exactly. So it's a variation of that. I don't, I don't know if I like this sort of abusive to consumer sort of metaphors <laughs> that we're using here, but, but, the, but, the, but you get the idea, right? I think consumers at the end of the day are stupid. I will tell you, I saw more businesses. We had some of what we thought were the greatest ideas that we take to market and consumers would just tell us no. So if you think advertising is manipulating people, Absolutely not. Consumers crush campaigns and sales efforts and brands all the time. So I don't think they're stupid at all. Quite the contrary. Okay. So you, you raised a really good point about, about people tuning out ad banners. And today we have a hugely very rapidly growing number of people with ad blockers. Yeah. And we have a huge percentage of people that have banner blindness that they just, like you said, completely tune out the ad banners. Edelman did a study recently where they said seven in 10 people say they avoid advertising. Do you think we can still find success running ads? And, and how do we do this in a world with ad blockers and banner blindness? How do we find success running advertising? Okay. So listen, your, your banner blindness is a real thing. Uh, consumers tuning it out, identifying where ads on the pages are, tuning that out. You know, they get used to, they see the patterns, they ignore it. Um, I think asking consumer if the, I don't know the Edelman study, but if it was asking consumers that they look at ads and seven to 10 say they don't, that's just stupid. 
because consumers have no goddamn idea what they do. Advertising, one of the big theses in the book and what sticks was that advertising operates at a low processing level. It's in the background. I'm not consciously aware of what I'm doing. But I know, because I've done so much research, that advertising really does work. It really does have the power to change. And I can see that by channel. And this is why things like multi-touch attribution is critical for your measurement techniques. So that you start to get a realistic understanding of that. So I don't, I don't think advertising is dead. I do think that we as an industry, advertisers, and I'll put myself in this camp as a part of that field, absolutely, that we have disrespected the consumer relationship. We have spent way too much time teaching consumers to ignore advertising. And by the way, I think, you know, listen, I got NBC and Disney on my board, ABC, you know, ABC, Disney on my board. You know, television to advertising has gone out of its way to teach people to ignore television advertising. The ads aren't relevant. They run in a long pod. They just, they, you know, they're, they just don't make any sense at all for today's age. I mean, I can get the information in 10 seconds and 15 seconds. That's enough for me to sort of be able to make decisions and I don't need to see flaws. So there's just so much of this business we gotta change. And I think now with address, what's called addressable TV, connected TV or over the top TV, you know, like in the Hulus. And I think that we have a real opportunity to change that. And I'm really hoping that, you know, we take this opportunity to take a lot of what we learned from internet and mobile and translate it and not kill the goose that laid the golden egg, not, not make consumers so pissed off, at, not be so dis disrespectful of their time. And, and I, I think we're moving in the right direction, but it's, it's slow. I, I still, I, I watch, uh, I, I watch news and they tend to run the same, they run the same damn ad all the time. It's like, what, what, how, how it's bad for the advertisers, bad for me as a consumer, like knock it off people. Yeah. Knock it off. What are your thoughts about native advertising as one of the solutions to that? You know, native was a really big theme for a long time. And we even had a committee here at the MMA that was focused on that. Native, but I just, I don't hear much about it anymore. I mean, in some regards, I think, you know, uh, Facebook and they're configuring ads on the fly and the way they do around visual taglines and sort of other things, I think sort of represent, I, I don't know. I just, I've not, I've, I've just not, I mean, it's one way to get around ad blockers. Uh, it just, it feels like an area that business that hadn't really taken off in a big way. Yeah. It's too bad. There's a, a couple of my friends run some of those companies and, you know, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's an idea whose time still needs to come. Thank you so much, Greg, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. To learn more about or connect with Greg, you can find him on LinkedIn, Twitter, his website, his blog, or his book. And there's links to each of these in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get my free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode. I wish you success in your advertising. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.